Today, we will have the second episode of our Dialogical Spaces podcast. Welcome, everyone. Dialogical Spaces is a podcast which aims to reflect critically on structural issues affecting diversity and inclusion in our research, education, and practices. We do this specifically with the community of the University of Twente, but all other listeners are, of course, also more than welcome. During seven episodes, we will draw on a series of webinars, interviews, and conversations about inclusive education and critical pedagogies, decolonializing the curriculum, shaping universities for gender diversity, and discussions about race and technology in research. I am Fena Imara Hufslot, a PhD researcher at the Faculty of ITC at the University of Twente. And I am Ana Maria Bustamante Duarte, a postdoc at the University of Twente, and we will be accompanying you today. And in this second session, we are going to talk together with Dr. Jos Motmans about the experience of trans people in higher education. He will share with us his insights that we had on a webinar discussion from developing a trans-inclusive policy at Ghent University. After, we will also talk with Eric Luis and Alex Jonghart, who both of them are part of the Think with Pride Association at the University of Twente. Op dit moment is 35% of trans people in the Netherlands is employed and 5% is freelancer. This means that 60% of trans people is unemployed. I think I suggested Jos Modmans, right? You did, yes. I remember yeah. that. Um, no, what I really liked, because we were searching for different topics that we wanted to discuss during this project, and what I really liked from... Jos was that he combines research and activism and does that on so many different levels. So his research is about trans experiences in healthcare in Belgium, for example. He works together in interdisciplinary teams, which I think is really inspiring with medical researchers as well, for example. And yeah, at the same time, He is also involved in European networks on creating, on trans research and improving trans visibility on a lot of different levels, and is also influencing the policy at his own university. So I just thought that was really inspiring yeah. to hear someone that comes from, like that approaches this and works on so many different levels to make sure that the experience of this group and in his case it's specifically a trans group but he also does research to other communities groups. other communities yeah. yeah 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 so i thought that was really cool we also kind of got drawn to him a little bit for his activism as you were just mentioning and the developing of this trans um trans point you remember the one that he yeah trans info point. yeah trans info But it was it was super interesting because there he kind of uh, generated with other people this super complete repository uh, with tips and recommendations for people and students um, and actually anyone that it was interested on in doing projects and conducting research with 
not about, but with trans communities yeah. um, on the best ways of actually doing it, what type of questions the researcher or the people involved on that should kind of consider before going. And um, a super big type of resources on all of these and the reflections and the questions that people should be asking themselves before, before even trying to go there without not prior knowledge or just thinking that they are going to do good before yeah. even doing. We found super interesting and fascinating this duality on activism and research that he was representing and and the way that he was actively doing it. And I guess also with the Trans Info Bund, it's really cool and really inspiring how he reaches all these different people. Because research is not only for academia, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but he has like made sure that the findings of the groups that he works with are translated to like through different channels that he talks with policymakers, with students. Yeah, yeah. That's how we got to the webinar. First of all, I would like to present to you or talk with you about why a gender inclusive approach is necessary. And you will already see a shift in my language. I'm not talking about a non-binary and transgender approach, but a gender inclusive approach. Secondly, I will raise some questions about, or I can present uh, examples of how such an approach can look like. And thirdly, I would like to talk about what I can do uh, as a person working within an educational institution. And I think this is very important to highlight this difference between what you as an individual can or should do and what you should ask from your institution to do. Sometimes people ask you, why is it so important? Why are you always talking about a gender-inclusive approach? And one of the most easiest answers is, of course, because there are many genders. And it's not enough to talk about males and females only. Sometimes I encounter people say, yeah, I'm, I'm inclusive for trans people. I do recognize trans women and trans men. But I do not believe in the, in the existence of non-binary people. Well, assuming that all trans people identify or all people identify as either or is fiction as well. So when I will use the uh, term transgender in my talk, I think it's important to um, say what I understand when I use or why I use this term or what I, um, how I understand this terminology. For me, transgender is a term that I use that is inclusive for all gender identities, whether or not uh, the person in question has undergo, wants to undergo a social, medical or legal transition. One of the reasons why we wanted to discuss this topic so and learn more about the experiences of trans people is I think because we started this project out of a discomfort with the fact that the only two genders discussed were uh, male and female. So a lot of conversations about diversity and inclusion, our university, but I guess in a lot of universities in general, are about female representation. So how do we get more female professors? How do we make sure, especially in a more technical university, like how do we encourage women to uh, do research in uh, STEM disciplines? But that's a very limited way or very limited approach to gender representation. So we wanted to know more about this whole spectrum and experiences in universities. And Yul Springs a very new or sort of uh, can help us uh, learn about a group that is so underrepresented. I think that uh, what Fena was mentioning, actually, it is the main reason why we came there. And particularly because we also focus and ask just to focus kind of his webinar talk on the policy part, particularly, precisely because of the majority of the policy that is being currently developed. So it's going to be the future policy of diversity and inclusion is still 
just talking, uh, not all, but many of it, just on this gender issue on a binary way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we talked that wouldn't be... I mean, that that wasn't fair, particularly on the time that we are and the type of discussions that are being currently held on more open and public forums and that the policies at the universities should kind of represent that discussion. Mm -hmm. In so many other topics also talk on diversity and inclusion that we always put them within brackets because they are so weird. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> um, but, but specifically on this one. So we wanted to start with that one and see how a university like in Europe and also in Belgium, that it is a straightforward, but also a little bit conservative in some topics, it was already implementing something like this because it was drawn by a particular group of researchers and students that it was very encouraged to do so. Um, the issue with talking about, uh, about only two genders in university is precisely that, that they are not two and it is not a binary discussion, that it, it is a full spectrum. And that was also the reason why we decided to talk to him, particularly on this, uh, on this issue. And we also talked with Eric about his experiences as a researcher at the University of Twente. He's been there. Actually, he's retired right now, but he had been working there for a long time. My name is Eric Louis. I used to be an associate professor in the Faculty of Science and Technology. Uh, that means I'm a physicist. Um, I retired in September, which means I'm no longer employed by the university. I have no official status. But in the last couple of years of my employment, I noticed that there was hardly anything noticeable in the university uh, on the field of LGBTQI plus things. We wanted to talk about Ere because he's an activist within the university. Uh, he is working towards the visibility of... LGBTQI people within the university, making sure that everybody has a nice experience, is a nice working environment. We wanted to talk with Eric because he is a senior researcher at the university. He had felt very comfortable and wanted to make sure that everybody actually has the same experience. As a senior person that is openly gay, to step up and make sure that younger people feel the same welcoming environment as he had. That has mainly to do with the fact that physicists among each other just judge you by how you perform, what you think and what you say, and not who you are. So that's, uh, I, I was really in a very pleasant environment because among physicists they don't care what you are or who you are. So that, that is easy. But I noticed that more general in the university there are quite some departments where uh, diversity is an issue, where LGBTQ persons are not treated equally. Also in those years, I, I noticed that things have to be done. As just said in the webinar. It's not just me saying that there are many genders. Of course, we do have research um, that highlights the diversity in genders among the general population, where the researchers included a question on gender experience or gender identity. You can also see that um, depending on how the question is asked, so if you ask a question on a scale where people can put themselves between five or seven points, um, that you get uh, much higher percentages of people falling outside of the male and female boxes. And if you ask a question using uh, categorical answer options, like people can only tick a box, 
the percentages are much lower. So this already is a good example of how research methods uh, can capture gender diversity. This really relates to also the differences in what's happening formally and, ex and what people experience in their day-to-day -day life. So there are many countries that are working towards more inclusive policies and laws. But even when we have, when we all have the same rights, that doesn't mean that everybody experiences the same treatment because cultural change sometimes goes sl more slowly than legal change. In many places where I go to talk about gender diversity, people come to me and say, yeah, we are all open for all genders, but there is no one here. And then I say, yeah, well, people will only become visible when you let them, when you create uh, a room for them to be visible. And the changes within the Belgian law are a good example of how people can become visible all of a sudden. What you see here is an overview of the amount of uh, legal gender registrations in Belgium. To understand this, this figure, you have to know that um, before 2018, when you wanted to change your legal gender in Belgium, you had to fulfill a very strict medical criteria. And of course, not all trans people um, could fulfill or would like to fulfill those criteria and therefore were not able to change their legal gender on their passports and identity cards. When our law changed in 2018 um, and the change um, was uh, that you no longer had to had any kind of proof or no other uh, third party had to give you a, um, an attestation that you could change it. You, it was solely based on self-declaration. So you and yourself alone had to go uh, to the civil registry and ask for a change of your legal gender. That all of a sudden, and you can see that from 2018 onwards, there was an explosion of the amount of people asking for another legal gender on their identity cards. And you have to realize that options are still restricted to male and female only. So they could only change from one category to the other. So there's no third gender in Belgium yet. So something that is super interesting is that half of the, like, well, not half, but a large part of the webinar discussion went into, yeah, that it is important to have policies and legal things in place because they mark a culture, but that it is a huge gap between having actually something in paper and being able to carry it out so that the implementation was as important as the policy and the legislation on that. So if this hasn't convinced you yet why a gender inclusive approach is necessary, maybe then I will uh, throw the legal cards and say, but maybe you, you just have to, legally speaking, you have to be inclusive. At least in Belgium, you have to, and I guess the situation in the Netherlands is not that much different. Our non-discrimination law includes gender identity and gender expression as protected grounds for discrimination. So existing policies and measures should not exclude people because of their gender identity and gender expression. And then another ruling which was very important in our country was the ruling of the Constitutional Court that we had in 2019, a ruling that was that came about because after the, the legal reform that we had, uh, some trans uh, organizations filed a complaint with the Constitutional Court that the legal possibilities uh, for changing your gender were restricted to two options only and that the law did not offer any option for non-binary people to have their gender registered as well. 
and the constitutional court ruled uh, in favor of that complaint, which means that they are now actually um, obliging our federal government to come up with a solution to legally uh, register non-binary people's gender as well. And it's up to the government to decide how they will install such a system. Like, would that um, mean that they would add a third legal gender option, like an X or, or something else to our system? Or maybe another uh, solution could also be that uh, gender would not be registered legally any longer. So that's the discussion that we are about to have in Belgium within the coming years. All in all, this means that uh, educational settings have to prepare the fact that they might be obliged from a legal perspective to open up their systems and um, procedures for a third legal gender person. And the same thing happens with policies at the university. Yeah, and exactly because of that, we also discussed with Alex, who works together with Eric in the Think with Pride about it. Well, my name is Alex Jonkaert. I'm uh, one of the timetable officers at the University of Twente. Um, I'm doing this for two years now. And before this, I was working at Saxion. I was almost joining the Think with Pride work group at Saxion. But then I made a switch to the university and then I joined. Uh, or yeah, we st- Eric and I started up building Think with Pride for the university, uh, Eric established more of the, the rainbow flags that it will be raised. Uh, last year, we succeeded in bringing the, the directors of the three schools, Saxion, ROC van Twente and the university together in uh, on the university. And uh, they have signed a declaration. And since this year, we established that we uh, are a member of the Workplace Pride. Um, so that's that's a really a big step for the university. So I'm really glad with that. So we were discussing this thing about the the cultural change. We actually also wanted to reflect, and it's something that we constantly also discuss with Fena on the parts of the conservative groups that we have in the society. And it's also something that um, Alex and Eric discuss about, and that we want you to hear from them. And I think that we as a working group also have the goal to help the university in establishing all that. Um, because in principle, the university uh, is, is in favor of diversity at any, at any field. But the university has to make it come true. So that means that the awareness has to be created. And I think we should do that together. University from the official point of view, uh, how, how to manage things and how to arrange things. And we, from the point of view of creating awareness, so that means that workshops, webinars, all that kind of things have to be held, indeed, so that those persons that have an, an other opinion or other feeling or other attitude towards minorities, LGBTQ, but also black people or whatever, or people from a certain religion or a certain cultural background or certain nationality, all these inequalities have to be, uh, yeah, have to be discussed, and awareness has to be created that we're all human and we should not should not be. But it's not easy because, in principle, uh, yeah, legally, we all have the same rights here. I'm just wondering whether or not we should just say it and be also talk about our difficulty in talking about this because it is so interesting and it actually is super important, and of course it is. It's so conflicting, right, that in creating this uh, diverse and inclusive community, 
like how do you deal with very opposing views um and if you want to like be respectful towards everybody's experience and rights but then it turns out that like those don't match how do you deal with that i don't really have the answer but i do think it is something um no i know what you mean and i think it is important yeah. to talk about it um Definitely. But it is a very complicated issue because it hits a lot of sensitivities, no? I mean, either you, you, you offend someone from a particular religious background, yeah. whatever that yeah. one is, or certain type of way of education, culture. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Alex explained. This is a small, small ball, small, small thing in your job security, you know? You want, you want to secure your job, so you're not sharing everything because you maybe are afraid that it will affect my prospects. So when, when we organized the first really coming out day, then I was like, okay, there's no way back. <laughs> They will sure for notice. So then I, I, I shared that I joined this activity in work group and they were all really supportive and, and proud. And they also, my superior also came to the, to the rainbow of raising the rainbow flag. And then I really liked that she supported that and, and she liked that I took initiative about this. Uh, yeah, I was in the beginning a little bit shy, insecure, but in the end, Uh, that wasn't really necessary because everybody was reacting very uh, positive. Open conversation is probably the only way that you can bring people together. So if you really start from ideologically different standpoints, I don't know, it's kind of difficult for me to talk about this because it's not something I personally identify with. But for example, if you really disagree with a certain expression or acts probably the only way maybe you don't have to agree fully but at least you have to respect the other person i think it is tricky because so on on how conflictive is actually to talk about these issues it's actually what it's reflected from alex's story you know about um about the flag and what it was happening at the university and i guess indeed it puts or or emphasizes a lot on these dialogue spaces and safe spaces to discuss things even if they are from very far yeah. away, uh, from points of views that are very far away, but that, as you were just mentioning, that they are so respectful enough that they, despite being so distant, they can get to talk and then discuss about it on a respectful base, or I don't know, or a base out of respect. Yeah. I think that that point is very important. From human to human. Yeah, yeah. From the perspective, exactly, that everyone is human. And uh, like, we are human beings and yeah. that's it. And then let's find the, somewhere in between. Yeah, that's the least common ground that everybody has together. Yeah. So you can start from there, I yeah. guess. Yeah, yeah, but it is very important. So we will hear that now also on how Jos and Alex and, and Eric discuss about it from their own experiences. Uh, so you can hear that upcoming. The possibility to be open is, is a huge problem for many trans people. So we have all these policies and all these anti-discrimination regulations and uh, we have the new law, but still people uh, encounter problems of uh, being open. We do see, however, that people are more frequently uh, open in school settings than ever before. And that's also a huge motivation for schools and educational institutions to um, set up a trans policy because people are getting younger when they are being open. We have um, asked 
respondents about their average age of self-realization. So the age of when they started to realize this is who I am, this is this is the name or, or the identity that that I um, that I have, and the average age of self-realization is um, around. 12 to 13 years. So that's the, that's the age where most people, but you can see the range was between three and 61, but most people are self-aware about their own gender and how they would like to be uh, called and, and named and, and how they would like to live around the age of 12, 13. And has changed, however, is the age of informing someone else about this. If you look at this um, slide and about this this figure that I um, have here, you can see that people from the oldest generation were uh, on average 35 when they informed someone else for the first time about how they feel. And luckily enough, and I think that's thanks to all the media attention uh, around trans and all the work of, of support groups, that age of uh, informing someone else has dropped significantly in the last uh, generations. And the current generation um, is only around 70 years um, when they inform someone else. This means that people are able at a, a younger age to be open about who they are. And this also means that many trans people will be open about who they are when they enter universities. Um, in contrast with previous generations. So it's not that people are getting younger all the time, but they're getting younger when they inform someone. Sometimes people assume that, yeah, all of a sudden we have all these young trans people. And I always say, no, no, we always had all these young trans people, but they were not able to be open. So now they are, and they are open at a younger age, which is a good thing. But it also, of course, comes with challenges, especially for school settings and educational settings. Unfortunately, we also know that uh, many of the trans people encounter uh, problems in school settings. Um, they experience negative reactions and sometimes even discrimination. Um, and the findings from the uh, previous FRA study um, that was um, published in this report, Being Trans in the European Union, showed that uh, on average within Europe, a quarter of all trans respondents encountered uh, discrimination in the previous 12 months because of being trans. That's really a lot. Um, within our Belgian study, when we asked those who were uh, in school in the previous two years, and that were 182 uh, students, uh, what kind of experiences they had in educational settings, we could distinguish between two groups. You had a group of students who were open about themselves, who were living according to the gender as they felt like, and they reported uh, to a large extent a violation of their privacy. And uh, you can see also a very high percentage that reported conflicts about uh, changing rooms or the use of changing rooms and toilets. On the other hand, we had a, a large part of our students who were not open within their educational um, setting or school. And that's... Uh, was also not always such a positive experience because they did encounter a lot of critique on their appearance, their behavior or ideas. So a lot of the students told us it's like choosing between uh, two illnesses and you don't know which one is worse. Either you are open and you have to deal with all these violations of privacy and conflicts about changing rooms or you're not open and you deal with all the critique that uh, comes with apparently having something that um, 
uh, yeah, evicts uh, critique on your appearance or your ideas. And what we also noticed that um, students, and this was not all, only so for students, but also people on the work floor, but I'm restricting now my talk about students, is that um, having these negative experiences in schools did have a very strong impact on their mental well-being. And I think that's another major motivation why we should talk about gender inclusive approaches in educational settings, because we do want our students to be healthy and have a, a healthy life. So how can such an approach then look like if we are convinced about the why? Um, how can it look like? And I can tell you a little bit about a story that um, I experienced at Ghent University. It was already in 2016 that university board decided to launch a policy plan, which was called Transgender at to my surprise, was not a lot of communication about it. It was something that was decided and then it was put on a website and that was it. Many people, many people working at university or students um, enrolled at university were not aware of the existence of this transgender policy plan. It uh, consisted of two uh, main pillars. The first one was a focus on administrative aspects of trans people. And the university wanted to avoid any structural discrimination. So they offered the use of a third gender option, which was called X, and also the use of a chosen name in all non-official documents, because official documents had to be filled in with official personal data. But student cards or staff cards, email addresses, all these aspects could be changed upon a simple request by a student or a staff member. And people also were offered the possibility to change the, the way they were addressed in communication. So they could cho choose between Madam, Sir, or just leave it blank. And then the second pillar of that policy plan of 2016 existed of the, uh, the aim to raise awareness and to install open communication. They started organizing talks and lectures about trans, educating themselves in the first place. So they invited us to speak for the working group on diversity and gender. And then they also started organizing at least the student facilities departments because they had a lot of complaints by students about the lack of uh, trans awareness. And they started organizing together with the City Council of Ghent uh, training sessions for staff. So what, what we could see at that point is that there were like things happening top down, top down and bottom up. So there was the Directory of Administrative Affairs working together with the policy unit on diversity and gender and the working group on diversity and gender installing these uh, policy plans and bottom up there were initiatives taken by students uh, by staff members and sometimes they, they met and sometimes it was like separate things happening after that uh, policy plan was launched in 2016 um, uh, some critiques emerged by trans people working within the university because the policy plan was focusing a lot on administration and not at all uh, on well-being or social, mental or physical support for trans people within the university. So it was a lot about uh, administrative stuff only. Um, so it was well, it was nice on, on paper, but it was not like in practice, it was not um, installed. Like nobody knew who was in charge to make the changes for you. What we can hear from Jos is actually a very interesting experience because a part of all this legal background that he was just giving the uh, he was also mentioning a little bit how the whole process of policy at the University of Ghent went. Uh, and on that, 
it's super interesting the distinction on how things were actually being changed at the staff level, but not at the necessarily at the students level. So also these negotiations and how the different actors start having presence in the university daily activities and on the way that the policy is being shaped and the actions are being shaped, it is very interesting. Um, and on that regard, for example, what is happening with Alex and Eric at the University of Twente, it is also at the staff level, but they are really, really trying now to also start having students and involving students, but also at the University of Twente is another association that is uh, for students specifically, which is also interesting. And now Estere, uh, who we presented on the previous podcast, she is the diversity and inclusion officer at the University of Twente. They are also having all this uh, network of the association with the students and think with pride as a part of the staff they are having a bunch of initiatives at the university with regard to how to put the, for example, the flag, uh, the pride flag, also a bunch of activities for integrating more the staff and other people that are also part of the LGBTQI community at the university. So we are advancing towards there and um, it's very interesting. We have a lot of different cultures at the university and, and other people have, have been raised with uh, others, the other ideas than, than our ideas. And that's just fine. But sometimes you notice that that's, that some religions of some people, they are not feeling really open about the LGBTQ plus community. And they have some ideas about it that are not actually true, are they? And I think, for instance, I noticed at some educations, they, they give some workshops, for instance. When the workshop started and we were presented the title, then some students just walked away or they just, just go offline for, well, I don't want to hear this. is not meant for my ears. So that's really a reason I was thinking like, wow, they're, they're not re they really are a kind of having a defensive, defensive modus on them about this topic. And I think, well, this is what I want to break. I just, I don't want to point the finger to the student. Of course not. I just want to start uh, open the conversation, tell my story, tell my view about it, and that let them students come to the conclusion. Hey, the things I think of the things, what I, uh, my values, they are not the same as the university. Maybe should, I should reconsider my values. That is what I uh, hope, and that's my goal. It is also very, very relevant to mention that actually they are searching currently for a lot of people to take part of Thing with Pride at the university. Um, they are needing a lot of hands currently to kind of blow the initiative and involve more and that it represents all this wide diversity um, within the LGBT community that is part of our university. Yeah, so it's all ages, it's all genders, all sexualities, everybody has to be represented. Yeah, on all positions at the university as well. Yeah, very important. So with all our activities, we do hope that those people, either coming from abroad or people with some maybe religious background in the Netherlands, that those people who uh, judge other people because they are not standard, they are LGBT or whatever, that those people realize that in the Netherlands, we are all equal and we should be treated equal and that they will also notice then indeed that we are equal and treat everybody like that.
So hopefully we create awareness that uh, diversity is a good thing and that uh, we all have our values and we should all be treated equally. And that's what we want to achieve. And and also help people to to join and make sure that they also contribute to this awareness. So of course it's not only important to talk about policy change or uh, cultural change, but we also have to talk about the physical space and the infrastructure that we create. So that's about, well, the examples of having gender neutral bathrooms for everybody at the university that wants to use them and openly waving the rainbow flag, for example. Maybe even the digital infrastructure to make sure that people can be registered under their their names that they want to be known by and the genders that they identify with. And then one of the points that uh, caused most discussion was about gender-inclusive infrastructure and signage. So in Belgium, there is a federal law, which is called the Codex, which kind of obliges uh, employers to install sanitary facilities for men and women strictly separated. So everybody who has personnel has to have toilets and changing room separated based on gender. So this is something that the university cannot change. But they did decide to, to develop a universal design for all inclusive toilets that will be installed on each campus. And every renovation or every new construction will have to follow this uh, toilet plan. You cannot believe how many hours we discussed about this toilet plan and how it should look like. But it, uh, many hours, I can tell you. <laughs> and they also decided to have on every ground floor of every university building that uh, the toilets uh, are now uh, labeled as visitor toilets and visitor toilets do not have to follow this codex ruling and can be gender inclusive. And the pictograms or the, the signs will just be toilets and not uh, the male female figure anymore, so. I was wondering if it would be worth it. Also relevant that we discuss a little bit about how important it is actually also to mention in the classroom, despite not being an infrastructure space, uh, the whole discussion over using pronouns with the students. You know, it is such a basic thing and then no one actually has it. And Joe did mention that that implied and that, that signified a lot, not only for him, also as a queer stuff within the university, but for his students and that he gave the opportunity also to them to pick how they wanted to be seen by the rest of their peers uh, within this space. About gender inclusive communication. So all the, for instance, vacancy messages or every other kind of communication emanating from the university or its staff should be gender inclusive. Um, they decided to avoid as much as possible gender related references such as he, him or she, her um, to the extent that it's possible. And they also um, uh, said or um, approved that um, all unofficial documents but also all surveys um, should only ask about the gender identity or the gender of a person when it's relevant and when it's needed. And if it's needed, the gender options should include a third, uh, so the X uh, option. Yeah, you know, particularly because this topic of the pronouns, actually, we are really trying to go with that. And that also becomes problematic when we discuss about infrastructure, 
not only on the physical infrastructure, but on the digital infrastructure as well. So it is important also to kind of put these protocols on using pronouns, for example, on the names of Zooms or similar. Yeah, it's so easy right now. Right. And that is one way, but you don't know, no? Like, I mean, it could be yeah. also a thousand things, but all these things are constantly evolving and are things that we really have to construct, but we really have to yeah. pay attention to them very, 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 very hard and learn every time. Yeah. Uh, we are learning with Fen on this. <laughs> so we also make a bunch of mistakes. Yeah, we do. Yeah, <laughs> but we're constantly, I think that's uh, nice about our dynamic that within our team right now, at least we're pointing each other to the mistakes that we're making. And then that way we uh, we can uh, self-correct. Yeah, actually, uh, as that, full disclaimer for everyone that is listening to us, <laughs> if we have made any mistake on the recording of this episode, us. also please feel free to point yeah. us, yeah, true, point true, us true, true, to true. that one, uh, because we are relatively new yeah. on trying fully to I'm, discuss this. Uh, yeah. and, this yeah. is perhaps a little bit of a sidetrack, but it kind of makes me think on whether or not it's easier to talk in, for example, gender, gender neutral terms in your second language. Because for me, it's more difficult to use gender neutral language or gender inclusive language in Dutch than it is in English. Whereas grammatically... It really? Well, I think in English right now, it's very established to use they and them. In Dutch, there's still more discussion whether we use hen or d or zij. We could say is female, but also uh, plural. So there's um, yeah. uh, not a consensus yet. But I, it just made me think like, oh, maybe when it's not your mother tongue, it's easier to adapt. Now your mother tongue has become so ingrained in you that it becomes like to change that is like it means changing a part of your identity as well. Which it is needed. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, it takes yeah. Time. It's not an excuse not to do it because <laughs> yeah. if your identity is exclusionary, then like we all have to evolve. Yeah, but yeah, yeah but it step just by takes. Step. Yeah, it takes takes time. Actually, we were talking that with another guest speaker in a follow up podcast that you will listen later. That <laughs> yeah, that the intention is not only yeah, hopefully <laughs> that <laughs> we don't only make mistakes. Um, but that we actually learn from them because uh, we all do them, <laughs> but that yeah. we recognize that they were made and that we do something about it and search the resources to do that. Also, because of that is that um, uh, Joseph's trans info punct is actually so important because it is a way to educate yourself without actually asking the people uh, yeah. that is there to have to educate you, although they kind of did because they put together this point already with a series of resources, yeah. but it offers you the opportunity to do it by yourself without putting the burden on this particular community as well. As Eric says. The university could, and that's I think also one of our goals, the university could actively work on that so that everybody is aware of that and everybody will act like that because when you you are the person that you are and when you are in an environment where there is no diversity you also don't notice that you don't think diverse and that means that i think it is a good thing if the university via the diversity officer arranges somehow that everybody takes diversity into account 
in their lectures, in their daily work, in, in the meetings they organize, actually in everything. If what happens in the sports center, when they give lessons in sports, whatever, that all has to be, uh, awareness has to be created there, so that everybody really thinks diverse. And I think that is, that is, that is the bigger goal that, that we have. So that indeed everybody can feel free and happy. No, that these are a bunch of questions that honestly, like I hadn't given it given it that much thought thought before starting this uh, this whole project. Organizing this has been such a learning experience. It's kind of like through this project, we've been able to develop a course that I really want to follow. So we're able to invite all these speakers that can help us learn about topics that I feel I'm, we were very, I should know more about. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. we had very low kind of, we were interested and we knew, but that we didn't have sufficient information before. I, I think yeah. that was. Um... And I guess also, yeah, so we sort of recognized the important but felt inadequate. Um, to talk. Hence also that we're not the ones speaking, of course, and that, well, I guess here in this podcast we are speaking, but yeah, we're um, on a learning journey together. Yeah, but actually, in general, this podcast was precisely that. It, it as, as Fena was just mentioning, it, it kind of um, was broke out of the intention that we had on actually learning more about these topics and, um, and finding mm -hmm. ways of people that are expert on them. <laughs> On, from very different perspective and actually kind of point us to resources and uh, started to um, yeah. on it. And on my research, I actually, I think I started thinking about it. Since that day, I have been really trying to have this discussion, even if I don't know that much, but a little bit with, uh, for example, on the grant writing. So when you mm -hmm. grant proposals for funding at the European level to have this, that it is a proper discussion, that when they yeah. ask you about the gender differences and how do you consider gender on your research within a proposal, it is actually yeah. a real consideration and not this binary consideration that is still there in a lot of these European calls as binary. Yeah, for me also, um, like I have already been able to apply to things that I've learned in so many different ways. So I'm trying to learn from it in my personal life, but also in my research. I think my research has become better because of this project, that I've become more aware of what my own voice is and what I can say and talk about um, and where my knowledge is limited. And also in a different project, I'm now in an assessment committee to review the quality of different um, research institutes. And I'm reading their evaluations and they only talk about the percentage of women professors. And I'm like, now reading it, I realize how limited it is. And I don't think I would have uh, noticed those same things two months ago, yeah. and especially not a year ago. Yeah, but actually I have to say that, for example, since Joseph's talk and these webinars, every time that now, like I see more when people connect to the webinars and that it was people that they connected to that one, that they put sometimes, not everyone, but they are starting to put the pronouns on the, mm -hmm. on the name. And that is quite yeah. interesting. Yeah. So that, that was a little bit of a change, even if it was very small.
on the moment when they were coming out day, I was cycling on the university and I saw the big rainbow flag, the letters in color, and also the small flags on the big way and the rainbow couch. Uh, and I was at that moment, I just felt secure and home at the university. And it gave me such a happy feeling and a proud feeling of the university. And that feeling I want to give to everybody at the university that they just feel home and welcome. And I think that's that's the horizon I want to uh, want to achieve. One of the things that Jos really emphasizes is that we have a responsibility to not only think about this in an institutional way, but also integrate it in our research and education. I would like to talk about what you as an individual can do or in my experience what can be important to reflect upon or, or to, to take action upon. And the first thing is many of you might be researchers or doing or pursuing research or teachers is to reflect yourself on how do I do what I do and how to do trans research or ethics, ethics in research or trans research and language. And I think that should be the starting point for, for many more things to follow, but at least start um, reflecting about your, uh, your own research practices, especially when they deal with gender and how to make them gender inclusive. And when you're uh, doing transgender research, uh, there is a lot of interesting stuff out there. Um, I also put on the research ethics, uh, the website uh, there links you to the research ethical uh, guidelines that uh, we developed within the European Professional Association for Transgender um, Health. Why is this so important? Well, I think for many years we have not included uh, gender diverse or transgender people in our research, or we have depended upon transgender researchers to do the transgender research. And besides the fact that we have uh, already a lot of information from the past, I think what we need now is to have every research being gender inclusive. I think it's just impossible to do research any longer without being gender inclusive. And of course, there are many questions that, that come with that. But the first thing is to think about it and to talk with your colleagues about it. It also shows the importance of visibility, right? Yeah. And I think that is a big difference. Okay, so my younger sister is four years younger, and I already know a difference, like notice a difference between my group of friends and her group of friends. So mine being a little bit more on the millennial side and her being a little bit more on the Gen Z side. And with her, like all of them are queer in one way or another, like whether or not it's their sexuality or their gender, like a lot of them express themselves in different ways. And mine are all cis hetero and maybe like some sort of a little bit more bi than fully hetero, but it's okay. So in that sense, I'm sort of curious whether or not it's really that that are also our identities or if we would have grown up uh, in a time where it would be more normalized. And I think in the Netherlands, it has changed so much over the past couple of years that Right now, there's more attention for the diversity in gender expressions and sexuality and that you can be anything and you don't have to like confine yourself to one box. So you can switch in different times as well, whatever suits you best at that moment. I'm not going to say that it's 
like that we're fully there yet, but I do notice a difference, I think, between generations. And also, like, even though she's my sister, there's already some difference uh, within those four years, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that is my case. I mean, I, I haven't been in, Col like, in Colombia working already for quite a while, so I, I don't know how that is. But um, I think the first time I was fully confronted, for example, with different gender identities rather than yeah, sec with uh, sex sexual orientations was completely different. But uh, gender identities, I think it was two, three years ago when doing my research yeah. and going to an international conference. It wasn't actually before, despite that I know that I have uh, yeah people that I studied with in different instances that they are now um, trans women or trans men. But yeah, but I wasn't confronted with it with actually also, it does say a lot that you were just mentioning Fena on, on how how it was kind of like the setup before and the type of things that they were putting there uh, and put in place and what it kind of generated the, the different atmospheres that we have. Although mm -hmm. I find super like really, really, really valuable what it's been happening now and that the universities at least, and I'm going to go back to the universities because that is where we work, are trying to change it, even if it is slow, but it is going. Yeah. I do think that the fact that the generations that are in charge of the university now are older, like in charge in the sense of yeah. the ones that work on higher places, it also makes that change that is happening super rapidly <laughs> On the like, for example, at the student level, a little bit slower to reach uh, up until the whole structure levels, becomes yeah. changed. Yeah, so I, mm -hmm. I would argue that some changes are happening out of the more younger staff. So independently of what level they are studying, but younger mm -hmm. staff is definitely not a professor right now, for example. So, you know, no. like, I mean. Uh, that has already certain and you have professors that they are very aware and very trying <laughs> but that takes time <laughs> fully to change the yeah. whole thing so maybe we see a full proper trans inclusive university for instance in a couple of years but that will require also perhaps out of my full ignorance a full generational change um, I mean of people not of not in terms of... Time. Are you calling for a revolution? No. Am I? <laughs> Am I? That we get rid of the 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 ruling uh, well, generation? <laughs> that we take you, over as young people? You could argue, you could argue. Actually, I am just saying, no, that a little bit of the intention of this project was to set the world on fire. A little bit, at least even a little bit. We are not fully doing that, but at least trying Anna to. really wants to see everything burn. <laughs> I kept seeing that, I kept saying that you know <laughs> but yeah anyway mm. these these reflections actually on trans policy but also on a broader level about policies that are more inclusive really inclusive towards the lgbtqi plus community are definitely way wider than what we just discussed and we really really have very limited knowledge in all of these but are things that they pass um, so that they are transversal to issues not only of gender, but also nationality, class, related to that economic situation, um, countries of origin, culture, and so on. So we just invite you all to take 
a little bit of what we discuss and reflect about it and consider and continue with this conversation exactly exactly as we say we are all learning on a learning path over uh, these issues on diversity and inclusion mm -hmm. and we invite you to continue the conversation as Fena just mentioned and to continue hearing uh, <laughs> listening to us and um, thank you Fena for this conversation and thank you also thank you Anna and thank you also to Eric Alex and Joss for being and taking part of this project and the conversation that we had today yeah We hope that all the questions and discussions emerging from this space help you reflect critically on structural issues affecting diversity and inclusion in our research, education, and practices. You can also find all the information in the description of the episode. We have there more episodes of the podcast, all the full web webinars that we have held, and the rest of the material of the project. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is post-produced by Sara Trejos from Sion Studios. We are Fena and Anna, and we hope that you will join us again.